Are you an executive director who has a board or a board member who drives you nuts? Are you on the board and maybe you have some issues on the board that you need to deal with or an executive director that you need to deal with? Then you are in luck because today we are talking about board governance and specifically how to have brave board conversations because let's face it, having boards and staff and trying to sort all of this out sometimes doesn't go as smoothly as we would like. Welcome to the Surviving to Thriving podcast that helps women leaders in nonprofits get out of survival mode and thrive in both leadership and life. I'm your host, leadership development coach, Kathy Archer, and I help women leaders enjoy impactful leadership. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Heather Terrence from Pinpoint Governance Group. Heather is a certified association executive, a nonprofit governance expert, and president of Pinpoint Governance Group. She's got over 20 years of experience working in the nonprofit sector, most recently as an executive director for a national trade association. In this episode, you're really going to hear Heather pull from all of that experience and all of that education and all of the work she does with organizations. She's got a ton of wisdom and insights and little tricks to help you develop your board, develop your governance uh, policies on your board, to help the board work more cohesively with the, the staff, the executive director, and vice versa. Let's transition now into my conversation with Heather Terrence around brave board conversations. Welcome to the podcast, Heather. I am super excited to have you talk about brave board conversations today because I know that board conversations and boards in general can kind of be a little bit of a tense topic for some people. So before we dive into that, just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got to teaching people about how to have those brave board conversations. For sure. Thanks for having me today, Kathy. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, so I landed in the nonprofit sector kind of by accident. I moved from Montreal to Toronto early in my career, and I landed a job as kind of a, you know, entry-level reception admin assistant role with a nonprofit, um, and, you know, didn't look back after that. Um, so I basically worked uh, through every position there is within a nonprofit. Uh, like I said, from reception right up until uh, becoming an executive director, which was my last role. Um, so what what my experience has really um, allowed me to understand every single role within an organization. Um, so once I became an executive director, I, uh, I took some time off after I left to work on an MBA that I was uh, enrolled in. And I, on the side, I had a governance consultant who was a colleague of mine who I hired actually about 13 years ago, who gave me a few projects uh, to help her. So I worked on uh, some scripts for an online a governance um, kind of university okay. for a client. I did some other uh, policy writing as well, and I just loved it. So um, I decided to kind of hang up my executive hat in the nonprofit sector and to open a governance consulting firm, which I did about two years ago and uh, have not looked back since. I love it and I love helping nonprofits and uh, nonprofit leaders to really understand governance, to understand how everything works together and to make them better leaders, which in turn makes the organization stronger. So half the audience is going, 
oh my God, you love policy writing? And the other half were going, really? There are other people who love policy writing like me? <laughs> because yeah. not everybody does. And it's it's not all of what goes on in boards and governance, but you know, it's a it's a portion that again, some people either love or hate. And so I love that there's supports out there for people to do this kind of work. So before we dive into that, let's talk about what is this kind of work because not everybody understands governance, what it means, what it looks like. So help help everybody understand how you determine governance or define governance. Yeah, so I, I found what I think is the best definition of governance. Uh, and I'll read it. I haven't memorized it yet, but I will yeah, read no. it. Um, <laughs> governance refers to the processes and structures used to direct and manage an organization's operations and activities. It defines the division of power and establishes mechanisms to achieve accountability among stakeholders, the board, and management. So the way I interpret that is it's almost like cogs in a machine. Um, and there's all these different processes, structures, and policies, and bylaws that make up this this machine. Um, so it really does, um, you have to understand how all, you don't have to be an expert in all of those little pieces, but you have to understand, number one, what, what is the cog? And secondly, who's responsible for it? So I think that's the, you know, really understanding the roles and responsibilities is probably one of the biggest things that organizations uh, are challenged with. Um, which leads to, you know, something we'll talk about, which is the policies, uh, <laughs> because that's the little secret sauce that will allow um, an executive director or even the board member to kind of, you know, reference that information that they'll need in order to uh, to find out where they need to go or what they need to do. So when we were preparing for this podcast, Heather, I said, some people talk about a governance board and an operating board. And you said, no, nah, I don't distinguish those. So tell us why you don't distinguish those. I think a lot of boards get hung up on what their title is in terms of where they're function, like how they're functioning. Um, there was a, a, I'm sure you're familiar with the Carver model, which used to be very popular, still kind of is a little bit, but is is uh, becoming a little bit outdated now. Um, so a lot of them like to call themselves Carver-based, you know, they, they follow a Carver-based Carver governance model or a strategic, uh, they call themselves a strategic board. Um, a lot of organizations that don't have any staff will be, be an operational board because they have to roll up their sleeves and do all the work, yeah. not only that staff would do, but as a volunteer, as a board member, you know, those responsibilities. Jack of all trades. Well. Jack of all trades, exactly. So um, I kind of encourage them not to worry about, don't worry about the label, worry about the cogs. Mm. Because that's really where, if you understand how all that works, don't worry about the label, you know, because that'll all kind of, it'll all kind of um, flesh itself out. The other thing too is typically organizations, when they start, they start off as an operational board. So it's that roll up your sleeves, all hands yeah. on deck, jack of all trades. Um, and then once they get established, they start getting more revenue. They are able to hire staff. They'll transition to kind of a hybrid model. And then eventually, once they have staff to do the work so that the board can really focus on strategy, um, you know, they'll call themselves a strategic board. And one of the things that I've noticed is maybe they've transitioned, but they're still operating in the old model. Or there's yeah. older board members who are still hanging on to some of those old things. 
what other what are some of the other big problems that you've noticed between boards and and the operation sides of things? Yeah, I think getting into what you just talked about, I think that there are um, there are there's an expression actually in in the governance world where it says it's okay to have your nose in it but not your fingers. Um, so I think it doesn't matter whether you're operational, whether you're strategic or a hybrid. I think the key component there or the key thing to to uh, to understand and to focus on is those roles and responsibilities. So as a as a strategic board, you wouldn't have a board member picking out the paint color, you know, for 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 the for the office. Oh, but some of them want to. <laughs> but some of them want to. But if you again, and we'll get into a little bit later, um, if you have that defined in policy, it's easy to point to it to say, this is not your responsibility. This is the executive director's responsibility. So it's easier to have those conversations and to point them actually to the documents that they've signed off on to hold them accountable for what their role actually is. So one of the things we, when we were preparing for this interview, Heather, we talked about was the fact that a lot of conversations might happen, but few of them are brave. And what often happens is people, there's a lot of tension under the surface, or there's a lot of confusion and then conflict or things sort of fester for for years. I, I coach some leaders who are really sort of deep into it with their board and, the, and those issues have been there for years, you know, and they keep resurfacing new topic, new dilemma, but same issue keeps resurfacing because they've never had the courage to address it. Either the, the executive director or the board, they've never kind of dove in. You experience the same thing? Uh, for sure. For sure. There is a, there is a, uh, you know, some organizations that uh, still struggle with that for sure. Uh, but again, I think it's real. There's a few ways that you can approach that. One is, uh, like I said, organizations may not have any of those policies. So they may not have a policy that outlines what is the difference between the role of a board of a board member and, and versus the executive director or staff. So A, the first thing you need to do is to really look at your organization's governance documents and say, is that clearly laid out? Yeah. If it is clearly laid out, you can have those conversations safely because it's part of your governance. It's part of your, you know, your 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 governing documents that your board members should have signed off on in order to join the board. They should have read those those policies and agreed to abide by them. So that's a that's a, a way of of having those conversations. Um, the second is a lot of a lot of board members won't have those conversations because they just don't feel comfortable. Yeah, um, it's it's the same as if you have a staff member, you know, who's been there a long time. They're very passionate about the organization. It's hard to have those conversations to say things have changed. You know, the role has changed, or you've outgrown this, you know, situation or this role. So, um, you know, those are those are tough conversations, you know, getting divorced. That's a that's a difficult conversation as well. So um, it's just part of life. It's it's part of those discussions that need to happen. Um, but some organizations look to um, kind of avoiding and sidetracking those those conversations by doing board self-assessments. So it's having other board members provide. It's like a 360 yeah, feedback yeah, yeah. process where you can have other board members evaluate directors on the board 
um, so that you, collectively you can say, look, it, it's not, you know, th this yeah. is a situation that we need to handle. So um, typically the, those results are delivered by the chair. Um, it's, it's important to deliver them professionally and, you know, um, being um, respectful of the individual. But I think that, uh, you know, that's a way of, of kind of skirting around how I, I'm not a big fan of that. I'd rather have the, the brave conversation, but, uh, but that's another way of, um, of, you know, kind of having those tough conversations. The third thing is uh, doing an audit. So having someone like me uh, or a consultant come in and do, do an audit of your board, uh, you know, what's working, what's not, and have a third party come in and really give, you know, observe a board meeting yeah. and have those, those conversations, you know, from, from a, a person who is has the expertise and also can provide that outside uh, view as to how the board is functioning. So much there. We're going to cover the three strategies we have for having these brave board conversations as a, you know, as either the leader of the board or, or the executive director. But I think a couple of things I want to touch on. One is the work that I often do inside of, I have a membership site inside of my training library, is I often say, you know what to do. There's a reason you don't do it. And so that's part of the challenge here is I know I should have that conversation, but I don't know how I don't, you know, and I'm uncomfortable. One of the webinars I did was on having those tough conversations because it's not that you don't know that it's necessary. It's that, oh, I'm busy or we just, it just it didn't feel right. Or and then three years later, you're still putting it off. And again, sometimes we just need to have those conversations. So I think that's critically important. And I think the other thing you touched on is that's not always easy in a board that is entrenched with a lot that's going on. And so I love the idea of having an outside consultant come in. Uh, I'm going to bring another guest on the podcast down the road that that does um, conflict resolution sort of um, uh, scans or whatever they are. Just, you know, I think sometimes we don't see what we don't want to see. And so having somebody else come in and, and just really, I mean, just sit at a board meeting and you'll see stuff that they have overlooked. I mean, it doesn't take much to go, wow, this is kind of what's going on here. So I think exactly. that's really important. So let's dive into the three strategies, though, for really having the brave board conversations. And you've talked about number one, but let's really nail it home. It really is about having policies. Tell us about that one. Yeah, so I think that um, the the biggest one is, like I said uh, a few times, is the 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 policy that uh, outlines the difference between what are the responsibilities of the board versus what are the responsibilities of staff, because that's where things get sticky. So if you have a policy that outlines as specifically as you possibly can, um, providing examples, if you or procedures as well. How is this different than a job description? Because you said policies are important. I think I think it is important. Well, we know it's important that we have policies. I was when I was talking to Mary Beth Finley a few podcasts back. She works in an organization, and when the when the pandemic hit, she said we went and grabbed the pandemic policy, uh, you know, out of the binder. We were ready to roll. Had they not had that, there would have pan been pandemonium, like there was in many other nonprofit organizations. For so sure. that there's policies around, you know, this is what you do during a pandemic. This is how we handle other stuff. What you're talking about is policy around roles. And so, you know, I think sometimes we we forget, well, A, we don't have job descriptions or our job descriptions are ancient, or they might be changing ever so slightly. 
And I think the other thing to touch on, and and this is probably what you're alluding to, is there's an overlap of stuff too, and that's okay because because maybe the board doesn't see the the job descriptions. Yeah. So the job descriptions are are you know you obviously need role descriptions or job descriptions, whatever you want to call it, for the board and for the executive director. Um, and that's if if that has the information that you need to to outline you know exactly what lane you're in when you're a board member and what lane you're in as an executive director, that's fine. Um, So touching on that pandemic policy, so that is something that as an organization, you probably have. Um, But the policies that I'm talking about are more in the areas of of board governance. So um, having a a policy on confidentiality, having a policy on, um, on conflicts of interest, having a policy or a code of conduct for your board members. So those types of things are um, having terms of references for your committees. You know, so those documents are guiding documents. um, And they also, you know, the the situations that you get in as a board, many situations are related to confidentiality. A lot of them are related to conflict of interest. So if you have those policies in place, again, it's so easy to just reference that and say you're offside here. And a good good practice is to to have the board um, like I said, when they come on board, they're going to sign off having that they've read and they understand and they will abide by these policies. And then a, a really good practice is to kind of have them re-sign and re-acknowledge every year mm-hmm. so that it's fresh in their minds. They get a refresher on exactly what their responsibilities are and, and what they can and cannot do. Um, and then have them physically sign, or digitally, I guess now, sign off on um, adhering to the manually. So what I was going to add was uh, Jean Eaton was on the podcast a while back and she is a, uh, uh, she does work around privacy in the healthcare profession. And one of the things she was talking to me about once was I sit on boards and, you know, the emails from the board come into my email and she's like, okay, so what if they're going to so-and-so's work email? And then they leave that organization who has access to that work email. So if you've got a a sensitive issue, either maybe a death of a client or, you know, there's there's an issue around staffing and that's in this person's work email that who knows has access to that email. That's a big confidentiality issue. And if those kinds of, so, I mean, I think when we think of confidentiality, we think of, you know, where do you store the files in the organization or the program? Yes, that's an important piece. But as a board, there's also confidential things that we need to look at. For sure. And it's around what's discussed at board meetings. It's the materials that you get. And there could be, you know, you might be merging with another nonprofit and that's super confidential information that you don't want, you know, uh, released until you're ready to do so. Um, so it's not just about documents and and you know maintaining you know um, storing documents safely and 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 making sure that they're they're protected. Um, it's it's more so on the the actual board. What happens in the boardroom stays in the boardroom um, unless the board agrees that you know they might agree on some talking points that they can bring right. uh, outside of the boardroom to to explain what happened or if they made a major decision to have kind of key messaging around that um, but really the the policy on confidentiality confidentiality should really outline you know what they are what kind of information they need to protect and maintain confidentiality with so whose job is it to write the policies the executive director the board chair 
it depends on on what's in the policy. Um, you know, it, it'll say who's responsible for it, and it it and it also depends on uh, what type of board you have, an organization you have. So if you have that roll up your sleeves operational board, you have no staff to do it, so it's going to be the board. Um, typically, for for a strategic board, it's typically staff who would who would take you know the 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 lead on drafting. Um, and then it would be presented to probably a governance committee who would be responsible for making sure that all of the policies are in place. They're updated as, as required. Usually there's a schedule. Uh, so every, you know, every year you review maybe a third of your policies um, just to make sure that they're up to date. So uh, it really depends on the organization and if it has the, the staff power to, uh, to take the lead on that. And is that something you do with the people that you work with is help them write the policies? Yes. So I either help them to write them from scratch uh, or I draft them from scratch for them um, or I look at what they have and I tweak it based on um, what I think is missing or what's in there that should be removed. Uh, I look at leading practices. I look at uh, like organizations. So if you're in healthcare, for example, I'd look at other organizations that are similar to you know that organization to see what 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 they're doing. Um, and then I would uh, recommend it, whatever edits I have. And those ones that you can download off the internet, the, the templated versions, stay away from or? Um, I, I wouldn't say stay away from, but in with governance, I find that there is no silver bullet. So yeah. there is no one size fits all. So what works for one organization may not work for another one. So it, you might look at a template and say, this is perfect. This yeah. is, I just need to change the names. I need to add in this, these two things and we're done. Uh, or you might, you know, look at six different ones and say, I like this piece. I like this piece. I like this piece. And let's put it all together uh, into, into, um, to, you know, the right fit for this specific organism, for my specific organization. Right. Because like I said, they're all different. They all have different mandates. They all have different cultures, environments. Um, so, you know, it's rare that you'll find that silver bullet where you'll see the one template and go, perfect, <laughs> perfect. just change the name. Um, so you, yeah, you have to really, um, most, most organizations would have to dig a little and do more work to, to really find yeah. bits and pieces that they could put together to make it their own. Okay. All right. So the first strategy for having brave board conversations is to actually have some policies in place. And the second strategy is... Um, I think that it's I, I think that it's it's your job as an executive director. I think that it's you know you, you talked about oh well it's hard to have those conversations. Life is hard in general. You know it's hard to say I'm going to lose weight now. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to you know like those are things that all are tough to do. Um, the difference is that you're getting paid to do this job. So while I could you know decide to quit smoking or start running every day. That's me in my personal life. And there's no, I'm the only one who has skin in that game. But if you're an executive director, it's a very different scenario. Yeah. Um, it's not only important because A, you're getting paid to do your job, which is to have those conversations, whether it's with the board or if you have a staff person, you know, we talked about before, yeah. who is underperforming or who, you know, you need to have a tough conversation with because an issue has come up that you need to deal with because it's it's interfering when it starts interfering, especially with your operations or with the functionality of the board and the ability for the board to do its work and yeah. do its work effectively. 
that's when you really have to have those conversations. So it's not just at a governance level, but also operationally with your own staff. Yeah. And one of the things that I know we're looking for in our leaders is, is that they are ethical, that they're honest, that they lead with integrity, but also that they're decisive. And I think sometimes we put things off and put things off because we don't want to have that tough conversation. We, we are lacking the courage and we avoid it. And then people question, you know, like, oh my God, we've been waiting for months for her to make this decision or, you know, he's dragging his feet on this. Well, actually the issue is not that they don't want to make the decision. They don't want to have the tough conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it is your job. First one, have your policies in place. Second one, it's your job. So there are resources to help you do that job. Heather's here to help you if you just kind of need to figure out how to do that. Um, I'm here to help you if you if you really f- aren't comfortable having those conversations and need to to work around one of the, a couple of things that I talk about. One is the confidence. So I think you know what I hear often with people is I'm not good with conflict. I don't like those tough conversations. And the truth is, you're not going to get better at them until you practice having them, and you're going to suck at them for a while. So the longer you avoid them, the longer it's going to take to get good at them. And and so we work around competence before we can be confident. So you got to build the skills around that. And then the second thing that I touch on a lot with people is the is the thing around composure, because people are afraid if they go into those tough conversations, they're going to fall apart, they're going to lose it, they're going to get defensive, they're going to cry, they're going to shut down. And so being able to manage those emotions, it's okay to be angry in those conversations. It's okay to be hurt. It's okay to be annoyed, but it's how you manage those emotions that really make the difference around how that conversation is going to end up. And that takes some work. And and that's a lot of the work that I do with my clients. Yeah, I think the practice thing is that you touched on is really important Um, because I know with anything in life, you know, that that. Yeah. Cliche expression, you know, practice makes perfect, even though it doesn't. Practice but, makes uh, progress. That's, the, it does, that's it what does. I've learned. Yes. Um, and I find I find another another strategy to use is to really surround yourself with people who are like minded and who have a similar or we taught when we talked before about finding your tribe, finding your team. Um, really surrounding yourself with people who are going to be positive with you and helpful to have those conversations, particularly if they have the same type of job as you. So if you're if you if you're building a network of other executive directors who have the same challenges, you know, different maybe yeah. bigger challenges here, smaller there, but generally they're all you know boards are are in general difficult to manage. Yeah, like we can all agree that there's an element of truth to that. Yeah. Um, so really surrounding yourself with with individuals who can encourage you, just like a support group where you can say, mm-hmm. here's the situation I'm having with a director, uh, you know, give them the background and then say, how would you have you ever dealt with this? Have you know, how did you deal with it? What advice would you give to me? Can I practice talking to you, yeah. pretending that I'm that person? Um, because they're they know what you're going through. They, they, they have the same kind of job. They work in the same type of organization. Um, and th- that's a great way of building a network who can support you when these times come that you have to be brave and have to have those tough conversations. Years ago, I met once a month for breakfast with a group of other leaders. And we were talking about programming and all that kind of stuff. But it was the 
after the official conversation that we had some of our best conversations and, and some of those ladies, cause they were all ladies at the time, mentored me and supported me. And yeah, we built off each other. And I can think over the years, the, the relationships that I had helped me move through that. What we're struggling with now is, is again, I, as I said, you know, you would go to a conference and you would sit in the session and then you and this other person might go for drinks after, or you might have that conversation as you're walking down the hall. That's not happening as much. And so a couple of things that I would suggest to people is you can still create those, like reach out. Heather and I reached out and we're like just chit-chatting and talking and, oh, you experienced this, I experienced this. So I think you have to actively reach out. I have one client who builds book clubs with other leaders. So it's a it's around a, you know, a topic, but then again, once they finish the the Zoom conversation about that part of the book, then they can transition into some of those other conversations. So you might have to think creatively now about how to build those networks. It's not like you're just going to pick up the phone and say, hey, my board member's pissing me off today. <laughs> you want to yeah. have a little bit of a relationship first. Yeah, exactly. And there are associations that you can join yes. um, to really, you know, have those networks kind of handed to you by just joining yes. um, a lot of organizations, especially when it's virtual now that that kind of has kicked open the door for even more collaboration. I was just on a call this morning where um, we were planning an event for a, a Toronto kind of area, GTA based um event and then we thought oh we can have someone from anywhere participate on our panel we can have someone in you know Alberta or in the UK or wherever um, so I think that our current environment has actually allowed us to be even though we're kind of stuck and we're alone yes. it's allowing us to even be to reach out even broader than what you know was available before like in person mm-hmm. um, so there's there's so many you know, so many support networks out there, especially now. Um, and like I said, with the associations, they're really doing, from what I've seen, they're really doing a very, very good job at making sure that people are getting the support that they need. Tell us about the, and I'll get the name wrong, the executive directors. The Canadian Society of Association Executives. So I've been a member since uh, about 2003. Uh, I received my certified association executive credential with them. Um, and they are, uh, they basically are uh, comprised of two sets of memberships. We have executive members who are uh, leaders within nonprofits, primarily associations uh, across Canada. And, um, and then we have business members, someone like me, who was, it's kind of weird because I was an executive member for so long. And then when I started my company, I, I'm now a business member, which is kind of weird. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, so they have a lot of opportunities for uh, support. They have an online um, kind of community, online community where you can post, you know, questions or, you know, challenges that you're having and people are very quick to kind of support and to provide templates and resources and advice um, with their own experiences. So um, it's CSAE is the the, the acronym um, and they're, they're a great association and, for and we'll make sure that we put the the link in the notes so that people can find that as well yeah. okay so in summary the three strategies to help you have those brave board conversations are first to make sure that you have your policies done 
and complete. Second is to really make sure that you are doing your job as an executive director. It is your job to have those tough conversations. And then third one is remember, even though it is your job, it's not really that you have to do it alone. There can be people behind you to support you in a, in a variety of ways. Build that network of support, reach out and get consultants and supports to help you uh, and, and really make sure that, that you are doing the work, but feel supported in the process. Anything you want to add to that? I would just say those two other kind of, I won't call them cheats, but they're workarounds, which is uh, doing the board assessments, which is kind of like that 360 review uh, to get those, those, you know, that feedback that's needed to have, to have the conversation. Uh, And also that doing an audit as well to have a, you know, a third party come in and and really look at your board. Um, It could be, you know, just the way it functions. You could dive even deeper into the policy area um, you know, and and uh, have someone with a uh, a fresh lens come and and look at you know how the board's functioning and to provide feedback yeah. um, for improvement. And so, just on that note, I do an assessment that would give some of that information, but I'm pretty sure you do as well. Is that right, Heather? Correct. Yes. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. So, so please reach out if you are looking for something to help you, because yeah, again, don't feel like you have to do this all alone. I think that's one of the things I notice most with, with leaders. And again, my focus is on women leaders, uh, but is that they feel isolated and alone. And like they think they have to do it all. And we're like, no, there's supports yeah. out there. And it, it is a very isolating job. Being an executive director or CEO of a nonprofit is a very, very challenging position. Yeah. Because you you know you're you're the chief staff person, so you can't really talk to your staff about staff. You can't talk to your staff about the board, you know. And and uh, that's why that network is so important because it is a really really and not not to mention that you know the the crunch of the crushing workload of of you oh. know being stretched financially and and staff wise. Um, so there's so many demands on these individuals that having that network to to you know lean on is is super super important. So well said. Anything we've missed that you want to add, Heather? I think we've covered everything. All right. So tell people where they can find you. They can find me on LinkedIn. I think I am the only Heather Terrence on LinkedIn. (laughs) And I will put the link in the notes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And my website is pinpointgg.ca. If you go to it, you can subscribe to uh, receive my monthly newsletter. Um, And by subscribing, you also get a free uh, governance audit checklist which we emailed to you so you can um, see how you fare in the, in the realm of governance. That is awesome. So that would be very handy for people. So again, those links will all be in the notes for you. So thank you very much, Heather, for jumping in with your wisdom today and sharing your insights and some really good tips, I think, that are practical. They're not, you know, I mean, it's not easy to have those conversations, but there are some workarounds that can make it easier that will help people hop over the bump. And that's when, you know, when women do this and leaders do this and they do this work, because you said earlier, the the whole world of, of the ED and the CEO is stressful. And I find that a lot of people spend their time in survival mode and that sucks. Sucks the life out of them, sucks the life out of their organization. But when you can do some of this work to get out of that, you move to thriving in both your leadership and life. If you found today's episode helpful, then you are going to love the training library. Many women leaders in nonprofits wish that they had a coach or a mentor to help them, but they don't believe that they or their organization can afford it. Oh, but you can. 
Inside of the Training Library membership site, you will not only get access to affordable and easily accessible ongoing personal and professional development training, you will also have access to a leadership coach at your fingertips. That way, when you hit those inevitable challenges that leadership will bring your way, you'll have both the resources and the support to navigate your way through them with confidence, composure, and while keeping your integrity intact. To find out more, head to kathyarcher.com slash library. If you are enjoying the show, I'd love it if you could leave me a comment or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Go make the rest of your day awesome.